What do you want said at your funeral? About you and, and heaven? Do you want them to say, He sure did life good. He has surely obligated God to reward him with eternal life. He was a great man. Or do you want them to say, He trusted in a great Savior? What do you want God to say? Forget the people at your funeral, whatever they say. What do you want God's verdict to be on your life? That's what Paul is talking about here. That's the stakes at play. Paul is going to issue incredibly strong words in this verse. You you heard me just read them to you. He starts with, mark my words. Behold, I, Paul, say to you. He's using all of that apostolic authority that we learned about back in chapter 1. And he's marshalling it and he's using it all right now. Right here. And he's using it to say in very strong terms what he said in verse 1. Don't go back. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back. In other words, don't allow yourselves to be circumcised by these false teachers and begin trusting in your law-keeping for your justification. Look at what he says in verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. King James Version, Christ shall profit you nothing That's with God. If the people at your funeral say, He was circumcised, that's what He was trusting in. If you say to God at your judgment, I was circumcised, that's what I was trusting in, then Christ will be of no value to you at all. Oh, 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 I believed in Jesus too. I was was a Christian. I believe He died on the cross for our sins and all that stuff, but I had to do my part. So I got circumcised. And I began to keep the law. Doesn't that make me right with God? Paul says, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Not one little bit. You see what's at stake here? This is no little thing. The false teachers were probably like, snip, snip, no big deal, now you're good. But Paul says, no, it's just the opposite. Is circumcision bad? No. Paul was circumcised, right? On the eighth day. He's not against people being circumcised. He's against taking on the sign of the Old Covenant in your flesh as a sign that you're taking on the Mosaic Law and promising to keep it and trusting and keeping it for your right relationship with God and telling everybody that they have to do it too. Apparently, they haven't gotten this far yet. At least as far as Paul has heard. So he's trying to stop them with this letter from going there. He says it won't help them out one bit. In fact, it will make their spiritual situation so much worse. Verse 3, Again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Paul said, I don't know if they're telling you this or not. They might be keeping it from you. 
But I'm telling you, if you go this route, you are taking on the whole law. And nobody but Jesus has ever been successful at keeping the whole law. So that means condemnation. You're just heaping up condemnation on yourself if you go down this road. And it gets worse, verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. If you go down this road, then you are cut off. And not just your foreskin. You are cut off from Jesus Christ. You'll be out of the sphere of grace because you are choosing law over grace. Don't go there. Don't go there. Paul was just absolutely hated. If any of the people he loved took that road, don't go there. I would hate it if this was said at my funeral when I'm lying right here. He was a very religious man. And he was severed from Christ. He fell away from grace. This man believed the wrong gospel. He believed the gospel of Jesus plus. Jesus plus His good works. He believed that believing in Jesus was not good enough. He had to add to the mix. Woe to the one whom that is said at their funeral. Or much worse, in the courts of heaven. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Don't go there. Instead, wait by faith. Look at verse 5. But by faith, but by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Isn't that a glorious sentence? Notice how the pronouns change. Paul changes from the you, those those people who are maybe going to go in the wrong direction, to the we. And he gives us the gospel. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. Salvation is by faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is by faith, our trusting in Jesus' work on the cross giving us the righteousness that we need. Both now in present justification and someday soon in final justification. I I think that's what he means by the righteousness for which we hope or the hope of righteousness. That could mean the hope that comes from the righteousness we already have in Christ. That's a real thing. But I think it actually means the righteousness, the right standing with God that we will have on that day fully the true righteousness and the visible righteousness of Christ that we'll be clothed with on the last day. We are waiting for that. And it doesn't come from our works. We don't earn it. It comes from Jesus' work on the cross and the Spirit's work of faith in our hearts. By faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit, don't miss Him there, the righteousness for which we hope. That's the gospel. Paul says that's how it works. Not what they're telling you. What they're telling you is all wrong and you're damned if you follow it. This is what's right. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's righteousness alone, now and forever. Verse 6. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Notice. Notice that he doesn't say that we should boast in being not circumcised either. You can't trust in your uncircumcision either. What counts in in Christ is faith. Do you have faith? And is your faith in Christ alone? Don't leave here today with that question unsettled. Here's what I once said at my funeral. And I hope it's true. This man was trusting not in himself, but in Christ Jesus. This man was eagerly awaiting, not in his own strength, but through the Holy Spirit, this man was eagerly awaiting the righteousness for which he hoped. And his faith expressed itself through love. His faith worked by love. His faith was the root and love was the fruit. He didn't trust in his life of love, but he had one. His love came from his trust in Jesus Christ. Paul's going to say more about that in just a few more verses. But he's got a few more strong words to say. Look at verse 7. You were running a good race who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth. He sounds like Coach Catanzaro over here, doesn't he? You were good off the blocks. Why'd you let that guy into your lane? Who has bewitched you, right? Like from chapter 3? You've got to stop this false teaching. Verse 8, this kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. You were called by grace. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. One bad apple ruins the barrel. You've got to stop listening to this false teacher. Put your fingers in your ears. This false teaching is going to blow up the church. And then he says this, verse 10, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Friends, that is so encouraging. (laughs) You feel that? Paul believes that the Lord will use his warnings in this letter to successfully draw these people back from the edge of the cliff. And those that are pushing them towards the cliff will fall over it themselves. No matter who they might have been. Paul is hopeful in the Lord that these dire warnings will be effective. And he's confident that God will judge the ones making the trouble. They've been lying about him. Verse 11, Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Apparently, they've been saying that Paul is inconsistent on this circumcision question himself. The rumors going around that Paul preaches circumcision, at least for the Jews. But you can tell by who is being persecuted what gospel they preach. Paul is not preaching circumcision and law-keeping for anybody as a means of justification. He is preaching the cross. He was preaching the cross, and he is preaching the cross, and he will continue preaching the cross. And the Galatians have to choose. Which will it be? Circumcision? Or the cross? How do you answer that question for yourself? Circumcision? Or the cross? And by circumcision, I mean trusting in your own works. 
or the cross. The cross is offensive, according to verse 11. The cross offends our pride, doesn't it? You know what the cross says about you? The cross says you are not a good person. The cross says that you are a sinner. The cross says that you are a a rebel. The cross says you are an evildoer. The cross says this is what you deserve. Does that offend you? It sure doesn't make you feel good about yourself. The gospel doesn't make us feel good about ourselves. But it's true. Because the cross also says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son to be crucified on it. That whoever believes in Him, faith, shall not perish, shall not be cut off, but have eternal life. The righteousness for which we hope. Is that what you choose? Circumcision makes you feel good about yourself. Not immediately, right? But afterwards you say, yeah, I did that. I did something. I added to my salvation. I did my part. Yeah, Jesus did His, thanks. But I did mine. The offense, the scandal of the cross has been abolished if you follow that path. You did something to help make up for your sin. What a good person you are. That's what circumcision would have done in this situation for these people. And they had to choose. What would you choose? Circumcision or the offense of the cross. These bad guys were choosing circumcision and they were teaching that all of the Galatians had to choose circumcision too or they weren't going to be right with God. They weren't going to go to heaven when they died. They weren't getting into the kingdom of God without getting circumcised. And that's a different gospel. That's a false gospel. And it's really no gospel at all. And you know what that does to Paul? That makes him rip, roaring, justifiably, righteously mad. Verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Yes, he said that. And yes, he meant that. And it was a holy thing for him to say. These guys think that This kind of cutting is spiritually beneficial and necessary? That's ridiculous. That's awful. That's terrible. They might as well go all the way. You know what that's like? That's like the pagan religions that mutilate themselves. That kind of religion is no better than the pagans. It's non-Christian, no matter what these people call themselves. It's anti-gospel. It's anti-Christ. If that's what they teach, then let them be cut off. Physically and spiritually, let them be damned. Paul doesn't talk this way lightly. This is not a joke that he's making. If it is sarcasm, it is the heaviest and holiest of all sarcasm. That which is an imprecation. That's how serious this is. The truth of the gospel is at stake. True freedom is at stake. Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free. 
You weren't called to be a slave to the law. You weren't called to be a slave to the law's demands or the law's condemnation. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But that freedom is not freedom from holiness or freedom from love. It's a freedom to love. Verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature of the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. Point number three of three. Serve one another in love. And here Paul turns a corner in his letter. And he begins to run a little bit of a different track from here to the end. He's made his case. He's made his appeal. He's made his warnings in the strongest possible terms he can come up with. Do not go back to slavery. Don't get circumcised. Trust in Jesus alone for your justification. His work on the cross is more than enough to save you. You are now free. But, but don't get the wrong idea. Just because you're free of the law doesn't mean you're free to do just whatever. It means you're now truly free. Free to be holy. You are free now to love without having to try to convince anybody that you're worth something. You are now free to live a life of love. You are free to serve others in love. You see that? You're free to become a slave. A slave not of the law or of sin, but a loving slave to serve other people and put their interests ahead of your own. Get this, look at verse 14. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) So we end up fulfilling the law after all. Not doing the law, not keeping the law for our justification, but fulfilling the law. Living out what it was trying to lead us to all along. Love. Love for God. And here, love for our neighbors. We are called to be free. And we are free to love each other in Christ. Apparently, they weren't doing that very well over in Galatia either. Look at verse 15. If you keep on biting and devouring each other like some kind of wild animals, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. By the way, that's what trying to be saved by law keeping will do to a local church. Legalism will make a church the most toxic, people-destroying place you ever saw. That's not the kind of freedom to which we are called. Gospel freedom is freedom from the law, freedom from sin, and freedom to serve each other in love. How are you doing at that? Next time, Paul will begin to develop this idea of faith working through love and walking by the Spirit and how to produce the Spirit's fruit in us, which is love. But just for today, just just ask yourself the question, how am I doing at serving others in love? I've not been set free for selfishness, but for service. Whom am I called to serve today? I would love it if at my funeral someone would say, he was a servant not because I had to be a servant to be justified, not that I was trusting in my my service, but because I was justified, because I was set free, I had been set free to love, and people could see it. Friends, hear the warning in this passage and heed it. 
there is only one way to salvation. And it's not by our works. It's not by our human achievement. It's not by our religiosity or our goodness. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ. Every other way of getting to God will cut you off from God. And everyone who teaches another way of getting to God will pay a steep price. Trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone to be set free. And use your freedom to serve others in love. Love your neighbor as yourself because brothers and sisters, you've been called to be free.